Hello and welcome to the Saga of Japan podcast with Charles Shanahan. Episode 9, The Jinshin War In the 7th century CE, Japan continued to adopt laws, rules, and organizations borrowed from the Tang Dynasty of China. Among these is their view on the universe, that the natural order and harmony of the world should be preserved at all costs. This extended to the government. These ideas guide Emperor Tenji as he rules over his kingdom, and he is supported by the powerful clan leader Kamatari. A few years before the death of Kamatari, Tenji held a feast in the palace, inviting the ministers as well as his younger brother, Crown Prince Oama. In the middle of the feast, however, Oama suddenly has an outburst of anger, thrusting a spear into the ground and ready to commit more acts of violence. Only Kamatari was able to pacify the angry prince, who leaves without committing further acts. But why was the prince angry? Well, he actually had pretty good reason to be frustrated. For a few years now, he had been heir to the throne. He was respected, of noble birth, and a fit leader. Emperor Tenji and the ministers of Yamato had already decided that he was a good fit to become the next emperor. But, Emperor Tenji had started to change his mind. While his younger brother, Oama, held the title of crown prince, a new candidate was on the rise, Prince Otomo, a lowborn son of the emperor, was gaining more and more favor with his father every day. Tensions on the rise, Kamatari had prevented violence from erupting any further, with stable and adept diplomacy. But when Kamatari falls ill and dies in 669 CE, his stabilizing presence will leave behind a vacuum. To be fair, Emperor Tenji was wise, judicious, and politically savvy. In his youth, he had helped orchestrate a coup that saw the tyrannical Soga fall from power, and since then he had ruled as regent, before now becoming emperor. In the absence of Kamatari, but the absence of Kamatari, who had been his trusted friend and confidant for years, was clearly felt in the imperial household. This became clear when Tenji chose Prince Otomo for a key position, reserved only for crown princes, while Oama was literally a crown prince. It seemed obvious to Oama that Tenji had secretly made up his mind. In 671, ill and knowing he was near death, Tenji knew he needed to make sure the transition of power would be successful, protecting Otomo from Oama. Tenji sent summons to Oama, with vague indications about the topic. Oama, who had conferred with a knowledgeable Buddhist monk who served Tenji, knew that the emperor intended to put him to a test over succession, and the monk indicated that Oama's life depended upon his ability to read between the lines. When Oama arrives at Tenji's bedside, Tenji tells him, all matters are henceforth to be left in your hands. Oama knew this was a test. If he agreed to take power from Tenji, he would be promptly arrested and dealt with as a rival claimant to Otomo, whom Oama knew Tenji intended to succeed him. Instead of agreeing, Oama asked that power instead be given to Otomo. Instead of agreeing to accept power, Oama asked power be instead given to Otomo, and he volunteered to resign his own crown prince title, becoming a monk instead, as a form of royal exile. Oama having passed the test, Emperor Tenji was satisfied that his son Otomo would succeed him. He agreed to Oama's request and allowed him to voluntarily go into exile at the monastery in Yoshino. The following months are a bit of a blur and confusing for anybody studying Japanese history. We do not have any actual proof that Otomo took the throne as Tenji intended after he died. What we do know is that Oama had no intention of retaining his monk status. Upon arriving in Yoshino with his wife and sons, Oama began to stockpile weapons and recruit followers. When Emperor Tenji passed away, Oama knew the time was at hand and sent out an order to mobilize troops. He had secretly secured the support of clans in the north and eastern provinces of Japan, 
Receiving troops from these areas, he quickly moved to cut off roads to the capital. Upon learning of this, knowing he did not have a chance of winning support from Alama's clans, Ultimo looked to the west and south for support. But the clans in those regions for years had been concentrating on building fortifications and defensive measures against invasions from the sea, expecting one day that the Tong dynasty in China or the Korean kingdom of Shilla would invade the coast. Of course, that invasion had never come, and their resources spent on the coast meant little to no preparation for a conflict from within. The governor of one such province is quoted in the Nihon Shoki as saying, quote, From the beginning, the province has provided protection against external trouble. Did we build lofty battlements overlooking the sea and surrounded by deep moats in order to cope with internal trouble? If we were now to hold ourselves in awe of the prince's command and mobilize troops, the province would be left unprotected. If the expected foreign trouble should suddenly appear, the state would be lost. End quote. While it is possible they were earnestly afraid of a foreign invasion, not realizing that China and Korea were currently at war with each other and not at all focused on Japan, they also had not been stockpiling weapons or gathering soldiers as Oama had secretly for months now, and probably didn't think they stood a chance against his supporting clans. Otomo sends what forces he can against Oama, but with troops coming down from the northern mountains and eastern roads, Oama is scoring victory after victory, his troops fighting with both tactics and bravery winning more supporters to his side. Within three weeks, the end near, Otomo commits suicide. His ministers and their sons are either executed or sent into exile. Oama arrives triumphant in Osaka and is enthroned as the new emperor, Tenmu. This short series of events is known as the Jinshin War in Japanese history. And in some respects, it is a confusing time of Japanese history. We do not have concrete proof that Otomo was ever enthroned as emperor. But later historians in the 18th century came to the conclusion that he had been enthroned as Emperor Kobun, even though it was only for 10 months. Adding to confusion is the fact that in the Nihon Shoki, which normally divides periods by emperors, Tenmu's reign begins as soon as Tenji's ends. Otomo and his supporters aren't ignored, but referred to as basically those people in the capital. Today, Otomo is sometimes known under his posthumous name of Emperor Kobun. As with so many things in history, we know only the victor's side of the story, and so we will likely never know Otomo's version of events. As prince, Emperor Tenmu had largely focused on building up the military institutions of Japan. After a horrendous defeat in Korea less than 10 years previously, many felt it necessary to improve the war department. In the aftermath of the Jinshin War, while Tenmu will still continue his support of military institutions, including awarding clans who had supported him with new superior titles, he and his ministers will also turn their attention to developing religious institutions in the style of Tong China. For example, there was a great focus on building up the Grand Shrine of Issei. Japanese mythology has the daughter of an emperor establishing the shrine, dedicated to the sun goddess Amaterasu in 4 CE, after receiving a message from the goddess stating that Issei is secluded in a pleasant land where she would like to dwell. With the imperial household claiming descent from the sun goddess, Issei Shrine, located east of modern-day Nara, held a special place of reverence for them. This was the place where the imperial clan could be worshipped, with the imperial princesses taking up residence at the shrine. Tenmu also began issuing edicts that began with, Hear ye the edict of an emperor of Japan, who is manifest god. This is an important distinction, as we must remember the emperor is not a ruler who is ordained or supported by god, but rather a descendant of the sun goddess, and therefore a god himself. As they focused on domestic issues, however, Japan finally receives word that relations between China and Shilla 
have soured. The lapsed alliance between the two eventually led to Shilla extending its influence throughout all of Korea, making Shilla the predominant threat to Japan as Tong China focused on matters in other regions, unwilling to fight Shilla for the peninsula, at least for now. Emperor Tenmu sought to head this off during his reign by ending diplomatic missions to Tong China and focusing on cultural exchange with Shilla. Tenmu will continue unifying military institutions and promoting cultural exchange with Korea until his death in 686. His mantle is taken up by his wife, who was also his niece, Empress Jito. Get used to that, there are a lot of parts in the imperial family that are more like family circles than family trees. Today, some argue that as a female ruler, Jito's reign was designed to be temporary. This is important as the current emperor of Japan, Emperor Naruhito, who took the throne in 2019, has one daughter and no sons. Some argue that female rulers like Jito were only meant to be temporary, and thus Naruhito's daughter should not inherit the throne. As Naruhito is currently 60 years old, who knows when this issue might come to a head. For now, let's rewind back to classical Japan. At the beginning of the episode, we mentioned the views on the universe, where preserving harmony, the natural order of nature, and by extension government, was paramount. Emperor Jito would eventually abdicate, but retained a large amount of power and influence in what's known as a cloistered ruler. Jito set the standard for abdicated rulers, and future emperors who abdicated would follow her lead. As she abdicated, though, the political movers and shakers of Yamato felt it was time for the establishment of a more permanent capital in order to preserve continuity and ease the transition of power. Rather than Osaka, as had been chosen by Emperor Kotoku, the city of Nara is chosen. Nara is surrounded by many religious sites, such as the Temple of Horiuji and the Grand Shrine of Issei to the east. The establishment of Nara as the capital is a sign of efforts to strengthen the religious institutions, and by proxy, the imperial house. With the establishment of Nara as the capital, the Osaka Enlightenment comes to an end. Its successor, the Nara period, is named after this transition, and would last from 710 to 794 CE. Next episode, the Nara period commences with a promising start, with the establishment of a new capital, modeled on the Chinese capital, the earliest compilations of poetry, a new resurgence in the support of Buddhism, and we finally arrive at the creation of the Nihon Shoki, one of the major primary sources we've been using since the beginning of this podcast. However, while Japan had suffered from civil wars and military losses, a new danger is on the horizon, unlike anything suffered so far. A smallpox epidemic will arrive that will bring much of the country to its knees, as around one-third of the Japanese population dies. As always, thank you so much for joining us on this journey through the history of Japan. You can contact me at the website listed in the show notes or at twitter.com slash saga of Japan. I deeply appreciate you taking the time out of your day to give a listen to the Saga of Japan, and I hope to see you next time.